It's a magazine show. Testing one, two, three. Cut all the shit out. It's useless. You never know. series story presented to you by the magazine show sponsored by a third more beef in morton frozen beef pot pie yes up to a third more beef no bone no fat no gristle just big meaty chunks 77 year old kentucky recipe tender flaky top crust no soggy under crust i love the soggy under crust why would you not have the under crust colorful garden vegetables rich brown gravy no defrosting. Just bake till crust is golden brown. Nutritious, money-saving, one-dish meal. Bakes in half the time. Get only Morton Beef Pot Pie. Previously on The Unmarried Wife. Suddenly, a door opened and I collided with Mark Sampson. I didn't know I could be so glad to see anyone. Feel such a lift of sheer pleasure at the touch of a hand, the sound of a voice. Part 3 of The Unmarried Wife Mark was saying, I really want to wish you happiness, Karen. You know I hope you have only the best. You were destined for that. Why should I be? I demanded suddenly. Destiny is what you make it. His dark eyes twinkled. I thought that was my theory, not yours. I'm not Destiny's child. You made him so nasal. It's Mark. You know. Poor Mark. That's why he didn't get another date, because he sounds like, you know. An old shoe. He sounds like me. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I'm not Destiny's child and want no part of it, I said, trying to laugh with tears dangerously near. I must run. Dad's waiting. As I entered Dad's office, I was wishing with all my heart I could be going to the movies with Mark that night and feel again the deep content I had had when I was with him could be free of the terrible tangle in which I found myself. During the next week, things got progressively worse. Harriet wrote New York saying she'd heard gossip about the bills Shep left behind. That night, Shep telephoned me from Chicago. He wanted $500 for the lawyer in New Orleans. Very guardedly, I tried to tell him what Harriet said, but he cut me short. I'll take care of that. Just let me have this other money. When I promised to send it next morning, he was all gaiety and affectionate words. He chatted about old friends he met in Chicago, the entertaining he was doing, the orders he's closed. Next day, Dad confirmed the truth of the orders. Shep was really doing business. Shep did send in orders, but I opened two letters to him from New York. found they were threats of suits for bad checks. I paid them off. There was another letter from New Orleans, which I forwarded. When Shep telephoned, he said there was a delay down there. It would take four months instead of three for the divorce to be final. I wondered if my nerves would hold together. Whatever happened to Shep living off income, he clearly hasn't any. Then Dad mentioned he needed a good correspondent in the office, someone to take care of special details on the tableware. I leapt at it. 
We were at dinner, and I could see Mother's look of amazement. Karen, with all you have to do? What do I have to do but play golf or bridge and eat too much lunch? I'd love to work, Dad. Please let me try. I sure will, he beamed. I bet you can do it, too. Mother sighed. Of course. You are a married woman, and some very wealthy women make a hobby of working. I could see her mind working, laying out the plans of explanations to her friends. Before, she would never have stood for it. But now I was, oh, the irony of it, married. From the very first day, I loved the office. Why, I kept asking myself, hadn't I worked for Dad long ago, regardless of Mother's fussing? Why had I, this is great, why had I sat home for three years after college and let Mother nag me into a form of insanity? (laughs) Mom sucks. It was so good to have something to do, something to think of beside myself. A desk, a job, an escape from cars and gossip, and the everlasting, Oh, Karen, you are so lucky. Shep is so charming. Every day I saw Mark, and soon I could tell without looking up when he came through the long hallway that divided the offices. I knew his walk, the way he opened a door. Everything about him was reassuring. One day, Ludd asked me seriously if he really should take Roomba lessons. I said, why don't you sell Eve on the idea of having a baby? He flushed, looked at his coffee. I've tried. You know, I'm, I'm crazy to have kids. At first I thought she would, and then, well, she's so restless now. I know it's dull here after the fun she's had, but at first she didn't seem to mind. He didn't add until Shep came. But I knew. A week later, Shep returned. When we were alone that night, Shep said he had to have another 500. There were more complications in New Orleans. I told you it would cost plenty to silence Wanda. Things are going so well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fucking Wanda down in the Big Easy. I told you it would cost plenty to silence Wanda. Things are going so well here, I'm sure you won't want anything to happen. No, nothing must happen. I paid the money. Hush money now. Paving the way for what? Such evenings as those at the country club, with Shep the most popular man there. He was so occupied, I was glad to find a chance to go off alone. Walk the terrace alone. Mark found me there. Don't you feel well, he asked. I assured him I did, and we walked in silence. Presently, he said, It's none of my business, Karen, but you don't look well. You aren't yourself. You seem nervous, strained. I suppose everyone goes through some strain and new adjustments, I said. He nodded and looked at me, his eyes dark and questioning in the shadows. If ever anything comes up, I can help. You'll call on me, won't you? He gave an uncertain laugh. You see, (laughs) you're pretty special to me. Ooh, Mark. Mm. As if that wasn't hurt enough, Mother cornered me in the powder room, scolding me for showing my jealousy. Jealousy, I gasped. Anyone can see it. Everyone is talking about it. You look as if you expected doom. You, who have everything. It's like mom's jealous. Her mom is just a nightmare. Everything. Two months of everything. With the office, my only refuge, the driving routine of work, the calm, friendly hours with Mark, my only escape from myself. Out of the office, my life was hell. 
After two sensational sales trips, Shep was home for the summer, playing golf daily with Eve while Ludd worked and fumed. I had given Shep another thousand, but there were still delays in New Orleans. Delays! I had my own idea about those delays now. I didn't know which I dreaded most. Exposure or the continued farce of a marriage with Shep. His ardor had cooled, vanished. That helped a little. While he stayed in good with the family, this would last, and only that long. Even if we married the next day, I knew we were already on the road to divorce. I even overheard chatter at the club. Wouldn't you think a girl like Karen would be so thankful to catch Shep Newton? She'd do everything to hold him. But no, she wraps herself up in work and looks like a ghost. August came with terrible valley heat that scorches your soul. Father begged me to take a vacation, but I was afraid to leave Shep, and he wasn't interested. Why not stay home, he asked me. The house is cool, so is the club, your brother's house. I wish he wouldn't go there while Lud is working, I said. That's a nice idea, to distrust your own sister-in-law. He always turned my protest to accusations of jealousy, but it was fear, cold, sick fear in my heart as I watched the growing adoration in Eve's eyes, the growing anger in Lud's. I knew how charming Shep could be, how doubly charming to the girl pulled out of her own world. I seemed caught on a merry-go-round, spinning in the dark. There was no escape, no way out. And then it ended, suddenly, as a thrown switch. The beginning was the thunderstorm. It came on Thursday evening after a frightfully hot day. I was working late to clear up some details. My office faced on the courtyard so I could see little of the storm. I put on the light and continued to work. Then suddenly, there was a terrible crash. Every light in the place seemed to blaze, and then darkness. With a cry, I was on my feet and out into the long hall from which the offices opened. It was black as a pocket, and an acrid odor of smoke rose, and I was completely panicked. Screaming, I ran through the darkness. Then my heart seemed to stop entirely as I struck against a body and strong hands grabbed me. Karen, Karen, it's I, Mark. Oh, Mark. That old shoe. By the time he made me understand, I was sobbing hysterically. His arms around me, he guided me through the dark hallway, his voice comforting, explaining it was only a burnt fuse. Everything would be all right. But I couldn't stop crying. It wasn't only the lightning. It was all the strain and torture of the weeks and months before. I was shivering in the August heat and gently Mark held me to him until I could feel the thud of his heart. In the dark, his hands touched my cheek. His handkerchief wiped my tears. Please, Karen, he said huskily. I can't bear to see you so unhappy. Isn't it enough that I have to be with you so close and yet... And then he kissed me. It wasn't the old, matter-of-fact, goodnight kiss. It was a man's kiss, but it held more than desire. It was all the love and security in the world in one caress. My sobs stilled. I leaned against his shoulder, relaxed, steady, gathering some strength from his nearness. Suddenly, the lights went on. Mark's face was ashen. I didn't mean that, he said softly. Don't apologize, I said. I understand. I'm going home now. 
I feel steadier. We said nothing else. We didn't need to. We both understood too well, but only I knew the whole truth and how little I deserved his friendship, his pity, much less his love. We'll be back to The Unmarried Wife after a word from our sponsor. This portion of The Unmarried Wife, sponsored by Stuffed Meat Birds. Tasty treat on a budget. Stuffed Meat Birds. Pound thin eight four by six <laughs> pieces em. of veal or pork. Pound them. Pound thin eight. Why would they say thin before the number? Pound eight thin four by six Yum. slices of veal, right? Yeah. But this copywriter said pound thin eight four by six pieces of veal or pork. That's just really awkward. Anyway, after you've finished pounding your postcard sized pieces of veal or pork, flour, salt, and pepper the meat. Brown one minced onion. Mix with three cups breadcrumbs, six sprigs chopped parsley, one beaten egg, one Herbox bouillon cube dissolved with half a cup of water. Stuff each piece of meat secure with toothpicks. Brown in two tablespoons fat. Add one Herbox bouillon cube dissolved in three quarter cup water. Cover and cook over low heat for 30 minutes. Serve Sounds delicious. Four. Wait, what did they stuff it with? Fat. Oh, fat. Brown one minced onion mixed with three cups of breadcrumbs. I see. So they're basically stuffing the meat with bread and flavors. It's a meat extender, James. Yeah. We're getting no, back. Bisquick. This sounds way better than Bisquick, though. There's no sugar in it. No. Now, a new reusable 12 cube plastic jar, reusable in myriad ways. Herbox, America's largest selling bouillon cubes. Try Westchester Deviled Chicken. <laughs> Did you grow up with Westchester no. Deviled Chicken, James? I don't think so. Is that what that is? That recipe? No, I don't think this is deviled. It sounds like they're. Um, I've never heard of Westchester Deviled Chicken. They're like putting chicken. a little look for that out there. They called it stuffed meat birds. Oh, that's why they say they're stuffed meat birds, because you're using veal or pork, and you're stuffing it Ugh, with chicken-flavored breadcrumbs. <laughs> New taste treat, Tabasco's scrambled eggs. Four eggs, milk or cream, quarter teaspoon salt, an eighth teaspoon Tabasco. Butter, break eggs in a bowl. And mix with milk, salt, and Tabasco. Melt butter in skillet and stir in mixture, scraping from bottom as eggs cook. Serve hot. I think it's really funny that they have to include scraping from bottom as eggs cook. Like, are you that new to things? You don't know how to cook eggs. Wait, we can't hear you, James. You're too far away. Okay, so while I was describing that, James followed up with saying, that sounds fucking delicious. This is for the newlyweds. They don't know how to cook yet. fucking delicious. But why would you end up, okay, you've lived with your parents for your whole life and you're finally going to get married. What year is that? And you need to have the ad tell you how to make scrambled eggs. This is the information highway. That means your mom was not cool. No, this this is the information highway. Yeah. Google for the... You're spoiled by Google. family circle. That sounds way better. Way better Mm -hmm. than the eggs. And guess what? Gordon Ramsay eggs from YouTube are the best eggs I've ever had. And I never would have even realized that, uh, that his technique is the best way you to see eat See the one eggs. that's all about going slow and low and keep them that's moving? That's right. And I, keep them I moving. read that one. Lovely, delicious, fluffy, fluffy eggs. I do the same. And moist. You got to keep them moving and I like rotate the pan over the... But guess what? You can't... How do, you got to put that in an ad, right? So that Tabasco ad, I'm saying that sounds really delicious. Suddenly so you you're need like, to do, damn. Yeah. 
And look, this is one of the ads where they show a gentleman. So you're thinking, oh, maybe he's leafing through this once in a while. And he's like, hey, honey, why don't you get some of that Tabasco? Those eggs sound delicious. It says, until you've tried Tabasco, you can't imagine how good eggs can taste. Used by world-famous chefs, Tabasco is not just another sauce, but the only liquid pepper seasoning made from special peppers fermented naturally in wood for three years. Get the one and only Tabasco. In wood for three years? And set it out true? when you set the table. Mm-hmm. James, Actually. for a sample of Tabasco, send <clears throat> name, address, and 10 cents for handling fee to Tabasco Department. 4FC. I hope Tabasco. Avery Island, Louisiana. I really hope Tabasco is still aged for three years, because that makes me feel better about life. You know how you find life. out? Google it. Just Google it. And now for the exciting, dramatic, inevitable conclusion of The Unmarried Wife. Next day was Friday and payday. Dad tried to persuade me to stay home, but Lud was out of town at a convention, and as we were so busy, I thought I could help. At noon from my desk, I saw Mark across the courtyard carrying the payroll satchel containing about $9,000. He always entered the back door and came through the hall that separated the offices. I watched him until he was out of range, then waited to hear his footsteps in the hall. It was a long haul. It would take a full minute, but he didn't come. There were footsteps from the front office. I recognized Shep's shadow against the glass. The next moment, the shout came. I ran to the hall. Instantly, there was a crowd. There was lunchtime, and almost everybody was out. Dad was there, clerks, stenographers, in the middle of them, Shep. I pushed my way through, then stopped, screaming. Mark lay on the floor, unconscious. What happened? I demanded, dropping to my knees, lifting his head. There was a lump like an orange at the base of the skull. I found him, Shep was explaining. I came along just now, saw his feet. He was lying half in the storeroom. He had the payroll, I said. The payroll was gone. Mark had been blackjacked. In 10 minutes, he had been whisked off to the hospital, and the place was overrun with detectives. Shep had a good story and told it as only he could with fervor and the right degree of nervousness. My wife was ill last evening. I came to see how she was. I parked at the main entrance, came through the front office, spoke to the telephone operator. Then I went through this long hall to the men's room before going to my wife's office. It was then I saw the feet. The telephone operator confirmed the story. I, too, had seen the figure, recognized the shadow. Mark had been in the building only a minute, perhaps only stepped over the sill when he was attacked. Not three minutes later, he was found, but in that time, his assailant, with blackjack and cash, had disappeared. Mm, you know it was Shep. You know it was Shep. Police Shep no literally good. combed the place and finally said the next morning everybody would have to be fingerprinted. At dinner that night, I had no part in the agitated discussion between Dad and Mother and Shep. All of them were full of theories. I could only think of two things, Mark in the hospital and Aunt Julia's money clip. After dinner, I went with Dad to the hospital. We weren't allowed to see Mark, but I was limp with relief when the doctor said the x-ray showed no serious injury. He would probably be able to talk by morning. Driving home, Dad said wearily, I don't think it'll be much help. Whoever hit him came up from behind. He stopped in the drive. Well, you know what, honey? 
I'm going to leave the car in the drive. We may need it in a hurry. That is, unless Jeff's car is in the garage. The garage doors were closed. I said, I'll look. If he's out, I'll put your car away. It was a necessary arrangement because two cars couldn't pass in the drive. <laughs> Who gives a shit? Dad thanked me and went slowly into the house. For the first time, he seemed to show his age as I opened the door. <laughs> What does that mean? As I opened the door... <laughs> like, too much information here. Like, we don't ah. need to know about the driveway. Honey, honey, I don't give a shit. You want to move the cars around all night? Right. Just go for it, we, all right? Like, we, the reading You're audience... You're the office girl. ...really assumed when she said, I'll see if his car's in there, and if not, I'll put yours in, that it was too small for two cars. Like, you don't need to include that. Well, anyway, Liz, it was a necessary arrangement because two cars couldn't pass in the drive. Dad thanked me and went slowly into the house. For the first time, he seemed to show his age. As I opened the double garage doors in the light of the car, I saw that Shep's car was out. Then, to my horror, I saw the battered satchel. It was lying in a corner, but I didn't have to see the worn gold stamping Jordan Pottery Company to recognize the payroll bag. In a second, everything was clear to me. Without stopping to think, I flew to Dad's car and drove as fast as I could for Lud's house. I saw lights upstairs as I slammed on the brakes. The front door was locked. I rang and hammered. Evidently, the maid was out. Presently, Eve came down the stairs. She was wearing a dark linen suit. What is it? she demanded, but she looked frightened. Is Shep here? Did you see his car? she asked, retreating as I entered. Stop stalling. Is he? Because the police are coming in about five minutes. The police? Her voice went shrill. Why? I pushed past her, ran up the stairs. The bedroom was pulled apart. Bags half-packed were on the chairs and bed. Did you write a note? I demanded. Eve was crying. You're crazy. You don't know. Did you write a note? Burn it. Get in pajamas and unpack those bags. She made one last stand, her cheeks blazing. All right, we were going away. Your marriage was a mistake and you won't give him a divorce. You don't appreciate Shep, but we love each other. Oh God, I said softly and leaned against the door. You understand each other too, I suppose. You understand he has the payroll. You're lying. You'd do anything to stop us. I would for love's sake, but this is the truth. Do as I tell you. Remember, you don't know anything. I'm going to drive to the office, then I'll call the police. If they find out I was here, say I wanted to know if Lud was home yet. But you can't do this, Karen, she sobbed, clinging to my arm. Even if, even if you do know something, they won't let you testify against him. A wife can't testify. That won't stop me, I said through stiff lips. I'm not his wife. Police can be kind. They were kind to me that night. While clinging to Dad's hand, I told the whole story. On the police captain's desk was the satchel. Beside it was the growing stack of papers. The teletype reports from all over the country on the man whose fingerprints were found on that satchel. He had a dozen names in as many cities. He was wanted for many things, swindling chiefly, but there was bigamy too. His right name, it seemed, was Ralph Norris. At least that was first, at least 
His right name, it seemed, was Ralph Norris. At least that was the first record against him at 18 for a car theft in California. Captain Arnold, who had known Dad all his life, shook his head sadly. We don't have to publish all this, Fred. We can send a man out after him quietly. The girl has no real legal claim against him. Then to me, he said, Do you know where he was headed? I hesitated, then said I had no idea. That part of the story I was not going to tell. Somewhere, probably in Chicago, he was waiting for Eve, but that no one but Eve and I must know. The next day, it was easy to trace Shep's clever staging of the holdup, his dancer's speed to going from the front to the back of the hall, probably bending low beneath the glass partition the first time, walking by the second. The satchel he must have hidden in Mark's office, taking it along perhaps in a briefcase when his car followed Mark to the hospital. And wasn't it like him, I thought, to come home for dinner and discuss it so carefully? Next day I went to see Eve, let her sob her fright out on my heart. I got so bored. I know Lud's good, but I've, I've lived all my life on fun, and now there wasn't any. It was fun with Shep at first, and then it got serious. You weren't lovers, I dared ask. Oh, no, not yet. This must never be known. You must never tell Lud. He loves you too much. I'll be good, she promised. What if I had gone, and we'd been arrested... And all this disgrace? No, the disgrace was mine. Though the papers never revealed we weren't married, mother insisted I go away for six weeks, pretend to get a divorce. Dad and Mark and the others knew, and the town whispered. One thing they all said, though, no one ever had a more loyal sister-in-law than I. Eve defended me hotly at every turn. Later, mother had a nervous breakdown. She couldn't take the truth. She who always had to have it sugar-coated and pretty. But it was Dad I suffered for, even though it has brought me so close to him. For the past six months, the big house has been closed. Mother is spending the winter in Florida, and I've been working with Dad and living with him at the hotel. I see Mark every day. He is quieter somehow, and I know the hurt of the truth was so much deeper than the blow of the blackjack. At times I feel that I am alone. Then I think of all that could have happened. The death of Mark, the separation of Eve and Ludd, the public scandal of the whole thing. The last still hangs as a possibility, as Shep has never been found. But only I stand to suffer for that now. Mark is well. Eve and Ludd are happy, awaiting their first <coughs> baby. And I, what is there for me? Work to amend what I did, and a little hope that someday Mark can forgive. Oh, the end. The end. All this because she has some fun one night. Right, because you're not allowed to bang it out without being married. Unbelievable. At 25. Yeah. Poor Karen. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Unmarried Wife. 
Um, hey, uh, hey, everyone. It's uh, vacation time for Liz and James. So um, we're going to take a week off and uh, catch you around uh, in two weeks. Catch you around in three weeks. Catch you around in four weeks. Catch you around in five weeks. Catch you around in six weeks. <laughs> catch you around in seven weeks. That'll catch do. Catch you around in seven weeks. That'll do. Eight, nine, ten. I don't know what you're going to laugh about on Monday. We'll laugh about Trump or something. Yeah. Or whatever else is in the news. There's always lots of things to both laugh and cry about. Thanks for listening to the magazine show. Un clown est mon ami, un clown bien ridicule, et dont le nom s'écrit en gifle majuscule. Pas beau pour un empire, plus triste qu'un chapeau. Il boit d'énormes rires et mange des bravos. Pour ton nez qui s'allume, bravo! Bravo, bravo Tu croques des assiettes assis sur un jet d'eau Tu ronges des paillettes tordues dans un tonneau Pour ton nez qui s'allume Bravo, bravo Tes cheveux que l'on plume Bravo Demain s'accroche à ses oreilles, lui vole ses chagrins et vide ses bouteilles. Son cœur qui se dévisse ne peut les attrister. C'est là qu'ils applaudissent la vie qu'il a ratée. Pour ta femme infidèle, bravo, bravo. Tu fais la vaisselle, bravo, bravo Ta vie est un reproche qui claque dans ton dos Ton fils te fait les poches et toi tu fais l'idiot Ta femme infidèle, bravo, bravo Et tu fais la vaisselle, bravo Qui est déserté, leur rire est inutile. Mon clown est enfermé dans un certain asile. Succès de camisole, bravo de cabanon. Des mains devenues folles lui battent leur chanson. Je suis roi et je règne, bravo! Bravo! J'ai des rires qui saignent, bravo! Bravo! 